0: You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stongey shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Over the, the past uh, few months, we've been working our way through The uh, book of Ephesians, and we're in the last chapter this week. We're starting the last chapter this week. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and what you've probably noticed as we've been working our way through the book, the first half of the book talks about things from an eternal perspective, from God's perspective, looking at uh, some theological depth in regard to God's eternal purpose for His church. And when you get into the the second three chapters, so chapters four, five, and six, so the second half of the book, you can see some practical implications of what it looks like to live as believers in the midst of this world. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how that plays out in marriage. And today, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to serve God in in the two places that we spend the most time in, at home and at work. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 9. But this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together, and we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture together today, that you'd help our our minds and our hearts to understand the concepts that we're reading about, that we would grow in our walk with you as a result of looking at these things, that you'd fill us with your Spirit, and that we would have the desire to implement the things that we see in your Word. Lord, we know that apart from your intervention, it's very easy for us to look at Scripture and, and really overlook the meaning of, of what you've communicated, but we, we thank you, Lord, that you do intervene, and that you do open our eyes to be able to see things and apply things that, naturally speaking, we would not have noticed. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at your word together now, that that's what you would do for us, and we pray that we would grow as men and women who honor and love you. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, do you ever think about where you spend most of your time? You know, When you just kind of take an inventory of your days, inventory of how things are, how things are working, what, what you're doing during the course of any given day, I think for the majority of us, the, ma- the majority of our time is spent in one of two places, in our home and in our place of employment. Uh, I frequently looked at the walls of my office right over here and, uh, and, and looked at those walls and thought to myself, all right, a major portion of your life is being spent in this place. Keep it looking halfway decent in here, you know? It's like, keep it looking halfway decent in here. Because so much of your life is spent in that spot, right? In that spot. Now, when I'm not working, I've made it one of my priorities as, as a husband, as a father, to be physically present with my family. I enjoy being at home with them. I enjoy spending time with them. There are regular segments of my calendar that are blocked off just for them and I do my best to protect those times from interruption or from interference. And during this is kind of interesting. During my years of serving as a pastor, so this is, I've been serving as a pastor for 25 years, 23 years full-time and two years part-time. But during that that time, uh, I've received many words of encouragement through the years, and I've also received occasional criticism. And much of the criticism is deserved, but some of it is a little bit laughable. Uh, in fact, several years ago, one of the leaders in our, our church here passed along to me some criticism that they had heard levied against me. So would you like to know a, a piece of criticism that I was, I was told about that I received? I didn't receive it directly. I received it indirectly through somebody else. But I was told that, that my critic said this. Uh, he said, John cares more about his family than he cares about the church. Think about that statement for a second. John cares more about his family than he does the church. So I think that statement was meant to cut me down. But when it was repeated to me, it actually made me very happy. Because as I heard that, I I thought, you know, that's the kind of statement that I actually hope my children will say someday when they look back at their growing up experience, I hope that they will be able to say, Dad loved us more than the other people in his life. Uh, I even think about 1 Timothy 3 verses 4 and 5, because there it says, Speaking of pastors, it says, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So it's kind of interesting because you look at that, it's a prerequisite to actually serve as a pastor, that you love your family first. And if you don't love your family first, you're not really supposed to be doing that job. So it's just kind of funny how that works out. And I thought, that's an interesting criticism. It's like, so what you're saying is, I'm doing a good job? Or, you know, I wasn't sure how to interpret that. But there's a delicate balance between serving your family and meeting their needs while also doing the best that you can to serve well in your place of employment. And I think probably all of us wrestle with that a little bit. And When you look at Ephesians 6, the first part here that we just read a moment ago, and we'll reread it a, a section at a time. But when you look at this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul explains to us that both spheres actually give us great opportunity for us to glorify God and demonstrate the heart of Christ. And he shows us how that's done. And he starts with talking about the home, and then he segues into where we work. So let's do that together. Let's look at what he says. What counsel, what advice does he, uh, does he give us about the home? Well, all right, let me look around the room, uh, see how many young people we have upstairs. Uh, all right, I see, I see several. So parents, you're going to love today's first point. This is for you, Um, but when you look at the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 6, you have the Apostle Paul explaining the importance of obeying your parents. By the way, young people, your parents paid me off to start off with this today, and and they actually asked me if I would do an entire series on this subject. That's not true, but I don't think they would mind. But let me reread verses 1 through 3. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, and then it says, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now, years ago before the advent of the the internet, I had several good friends that I used to correspond with with, via written letter. We used to do this all the time, it was a very regular thing. I would take time to, to write to them because those relationships were important to me, Uh, they would take time to write to me as well. And I would very much look forward to getting the mail because there might be one of those handwritten letters actually in the mail. Now I don't look forward to getting the mail because it's one of two things. It's either junk mail or a bill. You know, it's one of those two things. So it's like a chore to get the mail, right? Junk mail or bills. But a few decades ago, you might receive a handwritten letter. And typically, I would save those letters. I think I mentioned just a few weeks ago how uh, when my wife and I were dating, we would write to each other as well, and I saved all her letters. Well, I also did that for other friends as well, and uh, I have many of my friends' letters that they would send when we were, were growing up, and some of those friends have told me they still have copies of the letters that I sent them. It was precious correspondence, right? And when Paul wrote letters to the churches of the first century, those letters were considered a big deal. These weren't considered trivial things. These were considered a big deal. It wasn't necessarily easy to transport a letter... During that era of history, sometimes it could be very expensive. Sometimes there were, it would take a long time for a letter to get from one place to another. Oftentimes what you would do is you would send a letter with someone you trusted that you knew was going to an area where you wanted the letter to go and they would walk essentially that distance. They would hand deliver that letter that sometimes would take them many weeks or even at, at times months to be able to pass that along. So it was a big deal. These letters were considered precious when they were received and when Paul would send these letters to the churches, what they would do, it's actually in a very similar way what we're doing right now. We're gathering together adults and children, and we're reading it, and we're thinking about the context, the content of it and the context of it. And so these letters would be read in the hearing of all the members of the church. This would include the adults. This would include the children. They would all get to hear it. And as we mentioned in the previous section of this letter, you have Paul addressing the concept of marriage. And right from that, he, you know, as he was talking about that, he demonstrated the fact that marriage is the, the foundational institution for the family and for society. He also explained the fact that marriage is meant to serve as an illustration of the loving relationship that exists between Christ and the church, his bride. And so in a very logical flow of thought, Paul now addresses the relationship that exists between parents and children. And what he wanted here was he wanted parents to understand how to function in their roles, and he wanted children to understand the lifelong importance of listening to the godly counsel of their mothers and fathers. Now, let me say this just to give you a little historical context of what was going on here. Be grateful that you live when you live. Be grateful that you live now. I mean, there's plenty of quirks and weird things and things that we probably are not crazy about the era in which we live and things that we would certainly improve if we could. But if you were a child growing up in the Roman Empire of Paul's day, you would have had a much different experience from what you've experienced here uh, growing up in our context. In that culture, children were basically treated like property. You're basically treated like property. You're very uh, expendable, too. Children could be accepted or they could be rejected from birth. And it was not uncommon for people to, at times, abandon their infant children in wooded places or on hills if if they thought that that child might be an unwanted burden to the family or if there was something about the child that they did not approve of or did not like. Times they would abandon their infant children. It was actually the followers of Christ who began rescuing those abandoned children and teaching the world the importance of elevating the value of children, just as Jesus demonstrated and taught during the course of his earthly ministry. So it was, it was Christians that actually started, you know, figuring out some of these places that children were being abandoned and kind of collecting them up and, and, uh, treating them with dignity and raising them right. But in these verses, children are given some very specific instruction. And they're told to obey and honor their parents. That's what they're called to do. Obey and honor your parents. They're to listen to their parents' counsel. I think this also involves showing love and respect for parents, offering them care or help when that's needed, and then honoring them in the way they live their life. You know, and that's something that I I think sometimes gets overlooked, but think about that for just a second. Do we not honor the people that raised us and how we choose to live? You know, the life that we live, does that not honor those who who brought us up? So they're encouraged to have this mindset. Why are children told to do this, though? Why are they told to do this? Well, first of all, it's just the right thing to do, right? That's one of the things that the Apostle Paul seems to indicate here. It's just the right thing to do. Like, this doesn't need drastic explanation. It's just common sense. It's just the right thing to do. But we're also told that it will go well for children who take honoring and obeying their parents seriously. And the scripture also reveals to us that it will also result in them enjoying a longer life in which things tend to go well, just like the fifth commandment promises. And we're also told that that's the only commandment that comes with the promise. And the promise is essentially this, honor your parents. Your life will go way better if you do. And you'll probably live a longer time too. Children, when you look at how things go today, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. Many are encouraged to do the exact opposite of this. And sometimes when I look around, I I sadly see many parents just kind of accepting that. Just saying, well, I guess that's just how it is, right? I guess that's just how it goes. But embracing uh, a, a pattern of disobedience or embracing a pattern of dishonor toward our parents, it doesn't lead to the good life that many people claim that they want. And so here you have the Apostle Paul starting off this section about the home and about the workplace, talking about the idea, like, for starters, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Start there. And then he segues from there to give some parental instruction about bringing up your children. And look at the instruction he gives in verse 4. So he's trying to hit all elements of the household here. And in verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What do you think history will say about the fathers of our generation? What do you think history is going to say about that? Will they be thought of in good terms, or do you think they'll be thought of in maybe a less than flattering light? recently saw, and this was just this past week, I recently saw a, uh, a news article that was talking all about how men in our generation are doing everything they can to prolong their childhood instead of embracing manhood in the biblical sense. And I looked at that and I thought, that's true. Like, that's, I, we don't want to admit that, but that's very true. And, uh, and I didn't even read the article because I, I could already tell from the, from the, the headline that I, that I agreed with the premise of it, And I didn't want to be overly discouraged by reading it. So I just acknowledged it and and kind of moved on. But that's an issue, right? Now, I have to say, and I'll just share this personally. One of the things that that matters to me personally, and and one of the things I I could tell you honestly is my heart's desire, is it's my desire to be a godly man who demonstrates the heart of Christ, especially when I'm being put to the test. Uh, So I want my wife and my children to experience that. I want those who experience my leadership in other spheres to experience that as well. Uh, I have to say that as a father, uh, it's also been my desire to model uh, that heart attitude in my interactions with my daughters and with my sons. And so I've worked hard to try and show my daughters what it looks like to be honored and loved. I thought, all right, the first picture they're going to see of of what it looks like if a man treats a woman respectfully, they're going to see from me. So I want them to see that. I want them to see that demonstrated. I want them to be confident that their mother is loved by their father and that they are loved by their father. So I wanted that to be something that was demonstrated in our home to my daughters specifically. I've also worked hard to model and explain to my sons what it looks like to be a man who walks with integrity, what it looks like to not be afraid of hard work what it looks like to care for your family and provide that kind of leadership like scripture encourages. And in this passage here, you have the Holy Spirit inspiring the apostle Paul to give fathers some counsel. And he counsels them to avoid something and to embrace something. So you actually see both in this passage, avoid this and embrace this. So first of all, they're called to avoid needlessly provoking their children to anger. That's one of the things they're called to avoid. You know, n- don't needlessly provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. I think this also involves giving your children hope instead of continually cutting them down. Because it's very easy to cut people down, especially if you're feeling frustrated or especially if your patience is being tested. And when you do that, what you end up doing is crushing somebody's spirit. And if you if you crush somebody's spirit, you're you're essentially stealing their hope instead of giving them hope. So I think, you know, if you're in the uh, the position of of fathering children, you know, if you're raising children, be patient with them while they're learning and don't just snap at them because it feels easy to do so. Once had, uh, I, I, it was just a very quick comment that I heard from one of my professors in college and she was talking to us about educating young people. So it was actually an, an education course and she made a comment that always stuck in my head, and I've, I've thought about it ever since, and I've tried to apply it to my role as a, as a father. She said, discipline will always be an inconvenience. Discipline will always be an inconvenience. And that helped me to think about discipline in a, a useful way, because her, her further point was, in the moment, it will always feel like an inconvenience but you'll be so glad you did it if you followed through with it. And so in those moments as a father where I've thought, all right, I have to take extra time to counsel or extra time to correct or extra time to repeat something that I feel like I've already said, it may be an inconvenience, but I believe there's going to be long-term good fruit that comes from it, so that makes it worth it. And here you have the Apostle Paul saying, all right, don't, provoke your children to anger, but on the contrary, do this thing. And he says, fathers are called to bring up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's the do. That's what you're to embrace. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So they're called to teach their children the truths that are found in scripture. They're called to back that up by showing their children actually how those things are lived out. So it's not just words that are said. uh, I'm I'm friends with somebody uh, who is uh, a a long-term smoker who laments the fact that their children are struggling with smoking. And to me, it's a very obvious battle and a, a very obvious struggle where it's like, okay, that was an area that they were not able to listen to you on because they didn't see you actually practice it, right? And so I think to myself, all right, if I want my children to turn into adults somewhat someday that, that love the Lord and put the Lord first in their life and demonstrate the heart of Christ, I can't just say it. I can't just say it. It can't just be the type of thing that they hear Dad prepare sermons about and preach about or talk about, but they don't see that demonstrated when Dad actually gets tested. They need to see that demonstrated when it gets tested. My wife and I are friends with somebody who used to serve in a pastoral position, and uh, he doesn't serve there now. And one of the things that uh, his wife and kids would frequently say is, there is public dad and there is private dad. And we're like, what does that mean? What what does that mean? There's public dad and there's private dad. And there's like, well, there's dad in the pulpit, and he's one version, and then there's private dad. And uh, public dad and private dad were very different. And, uh, if you want to hear the follow-up conversation on that, uh, you know, ask my wife why he's not serving in pastoral ministry and what the nature of his relationship with his family is presently like, it's not a pretty picture. So there can't be public us and private us. The idea is that we would be consistent. And when the scripture here is saying, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's not just saying that you look at somebody and you say, all right, you do this. Don't worry about me. Don't worry if I'm being consistent. Don't worry if I'm showing integrity. But you make sure you do this. It's the idea of, no, if you're going to preach this, if you're going to communicate this, make sure you model it. And here's what I've learned over the decades of attempting to do this. You will need the Lord's help to do this well. Because you're not going to do it perfectly. And here's the other thing I know. Love covers over a multitude of mistakes. Right? Just like what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. God is the perfect father, right? You know, any father that looks at this portion of scripture and attempts to live it out perfectly, you know, maybe you'll get close, but you're not going to be able to do it perfectly because you're not perfect yet. But love covers over a multitude of mistakes. And so here's the other thing to keep in mind. Your children, as you're trying to raise them in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, they are going to get some things right. And you're going to have moments where your heart just swells with pride. And you're going to be like, they knocked it out of the park. Like, that, what a great moment. That's my kid right there. That's my kid, right? They're gonna get some things right. And then they're gonna get some things very wrong, just like you did, right? They're gonna get some things very wrong, just like you did. None of us makes it through life mistake free. And you know what's a good thing to remind yourself about in those moments? You know what I preach to my own heart? I'll just admit this to you. In those moments when I feel a little bit tested with stuff like that, this is what I say I just say two words to my heart love unconditionally love unconditionally and sometimes you just got to say it to your heart enough times until you finally start to hear it and actually believe it and when you are baffled which you will be when you are baffled on how best to help your kids never forget the power of prayer pray for god's intervention in their lives Pray for God's protection over their lives. You will be amazed at some of the answers to prayer that you get to witness during the course of their lives, and you'll probably also be amazed. Sometimes I'm amazed at how quickly those prayers get answered. There are times as a father that I have exhausted everything I can think to do or everything I can think to say. It's like I've run out of like, my toolkit. I've used it up. I can't think of any more things. Can't think of any more child psychology. I can't think of any more advice. I can't think of any more relatable experiences to share. I've literally run out of ideas. And then it's in those moments where the Lord quietly reminds me, hey, John, you know what you could also be doing? Pray. This would be a good time to pray. And in fact, sometimes I let you run out of ideas so that you remember to lean on me. That's what I think the Lord does for me, where he's like, yeah, uh, this would be a good time to pray, John. And so... It's amazing how quickly you get to see some of those prayers answered. And so here you have the Apostle Paul saying, all right, bring your children up, but bring them up this way. Do it this way. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord without provoking them needlessly. Don't exasperate them. Don't cut them down. Don't steal their hope. Don't crush their spirit. Build them up. And then he transitions from there. He's like, all right, that's one area where you're going to spend a lot of your life. And a lot of your testimony as a believer in Christ is going to be demonstrated in your home. The other place is where you work. So look at what he says in verses 5 through 8. Now, the context here that he's talking about is a little bit different from what you and I typically operate in, but there is overlap. So I'm going to explain a little historical context in a moment, but he says this. He says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not... By the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. You've heard me share this before uh, many times, but the first job I ever had was working in my father's grocery store. My great grandfather—I actually posted a picture of this on Facebook just a couple days ago—but my great grandfather started Stonge's Market in Scranton, Pennsylvania, on the East Mountain of uh, Scranton. I posted a picture the other day that, that I can't—I remember, I think my uncle gave it to me, but it was my great grandfather, John stongi Sr., passing out ice cream on uh, like right when World War II ended. He just any of the to any of the kids in the in the neighborhood, he just gave them free ice cream to celebrate the end of World War II. Isn't that cool? And someone snapped a picture of it. It just kind of exists. It's been passed around through family. So I posted it the other day. Uh, But my great-grandfather started that business in Scranton, and then that business was passed down to my grandfather. And then from my grandfather, it was passed down to my father and my uncle. And as a young child, right up to my early years of college, I worked in that store. And I learned a lot through that experience. I didn't always enjoy that experience, but I always I, I, I realized, especially as an adult looking back on it, I learned a lot in that experience. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about developing a good work ethic. I learned a lot about customer service. I learned a lot about decision-making. I also learned what it, what it meant to work hard. And I also observed sometimes because of my own deficiencies but also just watching as as my father and my grandfather and my uncle dealt with sometimes employees that that either stole from the store or showed up drunk or de- i remember we had our delivery driver show up drunk the one time and my my grandfather was retired at that point but he was helping out at the store for a few hours and my dad wasn't even there but my da- it was my dad's store at this point the delivery driver showed up drunk And my grandfather walked over to him, took a big whiff of that. And he's like, you're drunk. And the guy said, oh, no, I think I think I just had a few. And he's like not walking straight. And he goes, get out. You're fired. And uh, then my dad came into the store a few moments later. And he's like, hey, where'd so-and-so go? And he's like, yeah, I fired him. He's like, this isn't your store anymore. You can't just fire my employees. He's like, yeah, I realize I can't do that. Looks like I'm going to be cutting meat today because you're delivering. So what can you do? So literally my dad had to deliver and my 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 grandfather called up my grandmother he said hey uh, Ruth I'm I'm going to be here at the store for a little bit longer I just fired the delivery driver and now John's in a mess so I got to cut meat today while he delivers groceries it was very funny um and sad you know at the same time but I learned a lot about leadership I learned a lot about what it was like to serve and uh, what it was like to have a good work ethic, and what it was like to have a bad work ethic, and when Paul here gives instruction to bond servants, he gives them instruction to serve wholeheartedly, and he does this recognizing that our vocations provide one of the greatest opportunities for us to display our Christian testimony. Again, where you one of you know probably a third of your life, maybe even more, is going to be spent in your line of work. And it's often in that realm where people have great opportunity, sometimes the greatest opportunity, to witness what Christ is doing in our lives and to witness what we claim to believe actually being lived out. Now, I have worked for good employers during the course of my life, and I've worked for bad employers during the course of my life. And I imagine that those originally receiving Paul's letter here and and reading this Uh, had a very similar experience where they could say, all right, there are people that I've worked for that treated me well, and there are people that i worked for that that treated me poorly. But here he's addressing bondservants. Now, some translations don't say bondservants. Some translations actually just say slaves. So that's how I want you to think of that term. It's probably not exactly the same of what we tend to think of when we think of slavery in some respects, but there's certainly overlap. But basically, if somebody was a bondservant, they lived in a form of slavery that was practiced in the Roman Empire. Let me read you two quick things just to give you some historical context of how that worked in Roman society. So in Roman times, this is uh, something that I, I uh, found earlier this week, so I'm just going to read it to you directly. But in Roman times, the term bondservant or slave could refer to someone who voluntarily served others but it usually referred to one who was held in a permanent position of servitude. Under Roman law, a bondservant was considered the owner's personal property. Slaves essentially had no rights and could even be killed with impunity by their owners. During the time of Jesus and the first century church, as much as one-third of the Roman population were slaves, And another third had been slaves earlier in life. So just think about that for a second before I continue reading the next statement. Just think about that, just for a moment. Two-thirds, then, of Roman society understood what it was like to live as a bondservant. If that stat is accurate, two-thirds of Roman society understood this and had experienced this at some point in their life. So It was common for freeborn men and women to work side by side with slaves as street sweepers, as dock workers, as doctors, as teachers, and business managers. Convicted criminals became bondservants of the state and usually died working in the mines or on galleys. Now, Paul here is talking about bondservants. He's addressing some of this to those who are living as slaves, living in the midst of Roman culture. But his words in this passage should not be interpreted, as some people have tried to do through the years, as condoning slavery. That's not the point of what Paul's getting at here. That wasn't the point of what he shared. And in fact, if you really want to dig into the weeds and get into the details of what Paul thought about slavery, read the book of Philemon. Because in the book of Philemon, you have Paul writing a letter to a slave owner saying, hey, here's, your, here's this person who lived as a slave. You should treat him like your brother and you should actually set them free. So if you want to dig into what Paul actually thought about these things, and what he encouraged people in that spot to do, check check out the book of Philemon. But what you have Paul here encouraging was the importance of living out our faith in Christ when it's being tested, and demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, especially when we're living under adverse circumstances. Because this was a cultural problem in the midst of this, and I believe the Christian faith had much to do with ending this practice in Roman society. And when I look at this passage, I take encouragement from the admonition here that that Paul is giving, this idea of serving wholeheartedly. I look at this and I think, all right, wherever you're serving, whatever door for service the Lord opens up for you, and whomever he calls you to serve, I think we as believers are to give glory to Christ and serve With our whole heart, doing the best we can in every context that the Lord asks us to serve. And I believe that the example of the work that that God is doing in our lives is something that He can use as a powerful testimony to other people. In fact, over the course of the past two years, there are people that I have interacted with, not related to our church, but they just observed me living my life and serving in a variety of other ways that opened up the door for me to have deep and meaningful conversations about Jesus at their invitation. And that's one of the things that amazes me about the testimony that we can have in the context in which we're serving. If we're working and we're, and we're serving and we do so for God's glory, we do so with our whole heart, we have an opportunity to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit as, as He's working in our life and through our life. And uh, again, it can lead to many, many fruitful conversations about what is motivating you to do that what your core motivation happens to be. And it gives us an opportunity to testify to our walk with Christ. And so here you have the Apostle Paul encouraging those who are in a spot of serving. So if you're an employee, if you're working for someone, this is something that can easily and and clearly apply to that context. But he also talks about one other thing. So sometimes you're the person serving, and sometimes you're the person leading. So what does this look like if you're in a spot of leadership? Well, if you're leading, lead graciously. And this is where we're going to finish today. He says in verse 9, he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Isn't it interesting, by the way, how the advice to masters and the advice to fathers is kind of similar? Do you see a similarity in don't exasperate your children? And uh, if, you're, if you're a master, if you're a leader, don't threaten those that are under your oversight, I see correlation with that. It's a heart attitude. It's a heart mindset. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. In my experience, there are two surefire ways to figure out what kind of character someone else possesses. You know what they are? Two ways that you could test the kind of character somebody else possesses. You can either give them money or you can give them power. If you give them money or you give them power and then step back and watch what they do with it, you will discover what's going on in their heart. And here's another interesting thing about humanity. Most people can't handle either. Because look at the history of humanity. What happens when people get get large sums of money? Why do you suppose the Lord doesn't allow most of us to get large sums of money? Because he knows that we will worship it and misuse it. And it will reveal deficiencies in our character. But we'll have ways to fund those deficiencies without a whole lot of accountability. So I think for many of us, he's like, I'm not going to, you, you want money, you think you want that? No, nah, it'll, it'll ruin you. It's going to ruin you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring things to the surface that really need to be worked on and not celebrated, right? Or when you give people power, what do they do? Most people can't handle it. Very, very few people can handle authority. Very, very few people can handle power because it goes right to their head. And you look at the history, just look at our own American history. Look at the history of American politics. Even just look in recent day. You know, I won't get political, but I'm thinking of very recent political uh, individuals and and people that that have uh, been entrusted with power and then they misuse it and then they're called to account for how they misused it. And it doesn't end so well. And so you look at that historically, if you want to find out what a person is made of, give them money or give them power, and then step, step back and watch. And you're going to find out a lot of things about their character, much of which you may not really appreciate. And so here, Paul encouraged masters and those with power over others to work in the same manner that he had just encouraged the bondservants to work. And by the way, all of us should consider ourselves bondservants of Christ. That's something that, that Paul also emphasizes in these verses. But he encourages those who are, have authority to work in the same manner that he had just encouraged the bond servants to work. And he also commanded them to stop threatening people. Stop threatening people. Do You ever see people that try and lead that way, all they do is threaten? What kind of leadership is that? It's terrible. It's not really leadership. There's a big difference between being a boss and being a leader. A leader says, come join me and we'll do this hard thing together. A boss says, you go do this because I can't be bothered with it. And here he's saying, all right, stop threatening other people because in the end, what he tries to explain here is that is that earthly leaders and earthly employees, they all have the same master. In the end, we all have the same answer, uh, master. There's going to come a day when we're all going to give an account for our life to the Lord. And the Lord is not going to show partiality to us because of some sort of title that we held for our brief time of sojourn on this planet. He's not going to show partiality, Paul says here. So if God entrusts authority to you at some point during the course of your earthly life, lead graciously. Let the heart of Christ be witnessed and demonstrated in your manner of leadership. Let me say this as we finish up this morning. There are two primary places where you and I are going to have the opportunity to demonstrate our faith in Christ over a long and observable period. Our faith is going to be demonstrated to our family at, at, at home, and our faith is going to be demonstrated to our colleagues where we work. Let the light of your faith in Christ shine brightly in both places. Because the day is going to come... When someone's going to write your obituary, and when someone writes your obituary someday, your home and your workplace are the two places that they're going to be pulling the stories from when they put that together. And what we want is an ongoing testimony that testifies to others in a powerful way, that testifies in our home, Testifies in our workplace that Christ indeed is the lord of our lives let 's pray, Lord. Thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this today and to think about the things that, that you 're revealing to us in it lord it 's so interesting when we think about the fact that that here, as the apostle Paul is referencing these things to the church at ephesus he 's talking about where we end up spending most of our time. We either spend uh, our time at home or at work. Those are the main places, and, and there's just a few other places in between, but those are the main places that most adults are going to spend their life. And so, Lord, we know that in our day-to-day lives we're being observed. We know that the words that we, that we preach are things that people are going to actually be looking to see if we, if we bother to live these things out. So, Lord, we pray that we would have integrity in that regard, that the things that we claim to believe would be the things that we that we actually live out, and that we would ultimately put you first in all areas of our lives. Lord, we're grateful for the people that you've placed in our lives. We're grateful for our family. We're grateful for our our coworkers. I don't believe that any person that's in our life is, is there by accident, and I think your word backs that knowledge up. You put us in places with the intention that we would be your ambassadors. We're certainly ambassadors in our household, to our spouses, to our children, to our extended family. We're also ambassadors to those that we have the opportunity to serve with side by side, day after day. So Lord, we pray that we would take these opportunities seriously. We pray that we would glorify you in each opportunity. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be able to, to ultimately represent you, to be changed by you, and then demonstrate that change with those that we have the opportunity to to develop relationships with. Lord, thank you for the challenges that you give to us in this portion of your word, because many of the things that you discussed here, even though we just looked at them briefly, they're actually quite challenging to live out. In our households, our patience gets tested. One of the hardest things that you ever ask a person to do is is to raise another life. There's so much sacrifice and so much concern that goes into that. And for us as believers, so much prayer that should go into that as well. And Lord, we're just grateful for the opportunities that you give to us. We're we're thankful for the things that stretch us, that remind us of how much we need you. We're thankful for the ways in which you enable our faith to grow as we go through those those stretches that, that at times can be a bit difficult. And Lord, we know that those can come to us through employment, that can come to us through the home. We know, Lord, that there are many people that right now are dealing with adversity in both places. And I'm sure that there are some right here in this room and some that will listen to this recording later on that are dealing with adversity in both places at the same time. But Lord, you tell us that good things can come from our faith being tested. We learn to rely on you and you produce character and and hope and joy through the tests that we experience as we learn to trust in you more and more in the midst of them. So Lord, thank you so much for the fact that we can rely on you to be our strength, to be our guidance in the midst of all these things. And again, we pray that as we serve you in our homes and serve you in our workplaces, that your name would be glorified and more people would have the opportunity to come to know you as they see your, your work as a, a living testimony being accomplished in the midst of those who call on your name. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.